Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is my pleasure to bring you God's Word this morning as we continue to worship our, our faithful God. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Kelton. I also serve as one of the, the elders here of Stafford Baptist Church. Please, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21, blessing fulfilled. We're going to be studying the whole chapter this morning. Genesis 21. If you like, you can take notes on this morning's sermon on pages 8 and 9 of your Congregational Guide to Worship. Before we read, though, this morning, would you please pray with me once more for our hearing and for the proclaiming of God's Word. Let's, let's pray. Father, we confess that your Word is a lamp to our feet and light to our path. By your word, Lord, we see who we are and who you are and how we are to live as your people. Father, because you are faithful, we ask that you would give us light by your word this morning. Open up our eyes to see your glory as our promise-keeping, never-failing, faithful God. We pray this for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, what's, what's the biggest promise you have ever made? What's the biggest promise you have ever made? Maybe you immediately think of the, the tons of money that you prom, prom, promised to repay the bank. You borrowed maybe to pay for school or for your house or, or car. Maybe you think of the motto, Semper Fidelis, a promise to be faithful to the core and, and country. Or maybe you think of your wedding vows, a promise to be faithful to your spouse till death do us part. Obviously, the most important component of of a promise is not the words voiced or the paperwork signed, right? It's, It's the way that you act in light of the promise made. Promises require faithfulness. So how has your life been shaped Day in and day out by that promise. You can think of large acts of faithfulness. And maybe small ones as well. In our sermon series in Genesis, we have been following the life of Abraham now for nine sermons. His life defined by God's promises to him. Promises of of land, of of children, of, of blessing. And as faithful as God has been in these chapters, there is still a large gap at the center of Abraham and and Sarah's life. A gap that has defined them these 25 years. They still do not have the son of promise by Sarah. Well, our sermon text this morning blows any shadow of doubt out of our mind that God could ever be unfaithful to His promises. Genesis 21 is the account of God's never-failing faithfulness to His promises. And as His people this morning, it is proof that God will be perfectly faithful to us as well. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. Read with me Genesis 21, starting in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. 
And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have joined where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me, that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. 
Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Thus ends this reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. May he plant its eternal truths on our hearts. Our main idea this morning, the main idea of this chapter is this. God is faithful to fulfill His promise and protect His people. God is faithful to fulfill His promise and protect His people. After two and a half decades of waiting, or at times failing to wait, Abraham and Sarah have have received their son, as God has promised that's only the beginning of God's faithfulness. He is faithful too to his promises to, to Hagar and to Ishmael and even to the nations through Abraham. God is faithful to fulfill his promises and protect his people. We're going to think about this passage in, in two points this morning. First, God fulfills all his promises, large or small, And second, God will fulfill all He has promised to you. God fulfill all His promises, large or small. And second, God will fulfill all He has promised to you. So first we're going to look at how God has been faithful to every individual in this chapter. And from there we're going to move to think about application. How this is true for every one of us individually as well. So let's start at the beginning of our chapter, how God fulfills all His promises, large or small, in our first point. Let me reread the first two verses of our chapter. Genesis 21.1 The Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Do you notice immediately at the outset, three times in these verses, Moses, our author, highlights that God did what he had said. He did as he had said. He did as he has promised. He did when it was spoken. Finally, we are here in Genesis in the chapter of fulfillment. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in little Isaac. The the first note of this chapter before we hear of how Abraham and and Sarah respond is the note first of God's faithfulness. You know, over these years, the the promise of of a son has been in question. Remember, when the couple were threatened by a famine in Canaan. When Sarah was taken by By Pharaoh. When the years of infertility were prolonged again and again. When Abraham took a knife to his body part. When again Sarah was taken by a Canaanite king. Well, you know, what we we should say is that the promise has been in question from Abraham and Sarah's perspective. They laughed. They conspired. They clung by a thread to hope. But the promise was never 
Never in question from God's perspective. It is exactly as He has said, as He has promised at the time spoken. It was as simple to Him as us saying, I will lift my hand. God is absolutely faithful to His Word. If He has spoken it, He will perform it. If He has said it, He will do it. And this is true even if God's promise requires a a miracle. You know, the, the promises we tend to make don't require miracles. Right? Banks work very hard to make sure that you will be able to pay back that loan. Right? They don't just assume that you'll miraculously be able to provide and, and pay off the loan. But, but God's promises aren't, aren't normally what is possible. Like giving a child to a 100-year-old man and a, a 90-year-old woman. The, the religion of the Bible, what we read of here is, is a religion of miracles. It requires a a belief in a God who intervenes in the natural order of things and does what is supernatural, beyond natural. I I wonder if you have ever heard of Thomas Jefferson's Bible. Our, Our third president clipped sections out of the New Testament and pasted them into a Bible of his his own making. And by doing so, Jefferson removed all references to to the miracles of Jesus, his resurrection and his ascension, all proof of his divinity. He removed anything that offended his enlightened sense of reason. And the result is a God in his own image, a God who is bound by nature, And a God who cannot fulfill His promises. The true God of the Bible, the the God that we read of here, does what is supernatural. He commands fish and, and ravens. He heals the sick and raises the dead. He stops the sun and splits the seas. And none of this, none of this is hard for Him to do. He created everything by a word, including its so-called laws. By His word, He can just as easily interfere and do what He pleases in what He has created, including giving a child to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. Brothers and sisters, nothing, nothing prevents God from fulfilling His word. He is faithful and He is almighty. Years later, looking back on not just this birth of of Isaac, but God's faithfulness to Isaac's children and children's children, Joshua says this about God's faithfulness in Joshua 21.45. He says, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. All came to pass. Not one word, not one word of all the good promises of God has failed. I don't know about you, but but that makes me want to read God's good word, to mine God's good promises, 
to use them for the foundation of, of what I believe, of what I hope in. Church, God is, is faithful. Not a word of what he says will fail. It is impossible for our God to lie or to, to fail to account for, for unforeseen circumstances. The God of the Bible is absolutely and invariably faithful. And you can take that to the bank. You can invest everything on that. Just like Abraham and Sarah do. Verses 4 through 7 of our passage tells us what God's faithfulness does to the beneficiaries of His faithfulness. To Abraham and Sarah here. First we see in verse 4 that, that Abraham obeys. First, he, he names his son Isaac in verse 3, right? The name given by God back in, in, in chapter 17, you shall call his name Isaac. And in verse 4, he, he circumcises his son on the eighth day. As God, he says, commanded him. As God had commanded him. God's faithfulness to his people should lead to his people's faithfulness to him. Their attentive obedience to what he has commanded. So frankly, that means we should be completely obedient to God. And in verses 6 and 7, we see Sarah's response to God's faithfulness. It's, it's joy. She and, and everyone who hears, she says, will laugh. Laughter of, of joy. And she highlights here how unexpected Isaac's birth is. None would have said this. Not only should God's faithfulness lead to God's people's obedience, it should lead to God's people's joy. Cheerful declaration of what God has done. So frankly, that means we should be a completely joyful people. Have you ever considered why Paul in the New Testament commands us to be cheerful givers? Or to do acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God is not after mere obedience. He is after joyful obedience. Our obedience should be the overflow of love and thankfulness. Of trust in God. The greatest commandment, church, is to love Him with our whole heart, soul, and strength. So how is, how is your obedience? Immediate, but cheerless? Might it be that you've forgotten God's faithfulness? Or maybe you've begun to feel entitled to what He promises. As if it is what is due, rather than what is His grace. Well, let's keep going with our text in the next section, but, but first our still point, God fulfills all His promises, large or small. We've, we've seen the fulfillment of the large promise, the, the birth of Isaac. Let's consider the other acts of God's faithfulness here in chapter 21. In verses 8 through, through 21, we see God's faithfulness to, to Hagar and Ishmael. It's important for us to remember that this Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, also received God's promises. Remember, back in Genesis 16, verse 10, 
The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. So here we we have the fulfillment of that promise. This is the story of God's faithfulness to that promise. We learn in verse 8, this is scene takes place when Isaac is older, likely around two or three years old, meaning that, that Ishmael is likely between 15 and 16 years old. Isaac is, is being weaned. He's, he's no longer being fed by his, his mother's milk. But in, in verse 9, on this occasion, Ishmael is laughing at his half-brother Isaac. Paul in Galatians understands this laughing to be mocking as an act of, of persecution. So we see in verse 10, Sarah calls on Abraham to cast out the slave woman and her son. Sarah never uses their names here. Maybe as we read through this, Sarah's attitude didn't sit right with you. Certainly it displeased Abraham as we see in, in verse 11. He, he loves his son. But how does God respond here? Well, God assures Abraham of his faithfulness. Yes, it will be through Isaac that your offspring will come. But in, in verse 13, because Ishmael is, is yours, he's Abraham's offspring, I will keep him and I will make him a great nation, he promises. Ishmael's security is as good as God's word. So, Abraham, in keeping with the theme, obeys God. Verses 15 through 21 tell us of their wandering. But the the key phrase shows up in verse 17, and God heard. And in verse 20, there, and God was with. Despite the dangers, God hears the boy's cries and protects him. He is with him. In verse 18, we, we see God reiterate his promise to Ishmael. I will make him into a great nation. We see God miraculously, miraculously provide or, or reveal water to Hagar. And so Ishmael prospers. He grows. He becomes an expert with the bow and is given an Egyptian wife. The point of this story is that that God is faithful to His promises. You know, Hagar and Ishmael don't figure much into the story after this point, after Genesis 21. This is really the end of Hagar's story. Her, Her name is only mentioned one other time in the entire New Testament, and that's in Genesis 25 with Ishmael's genealogy. And that genealogy reports that Ishmael becomes the father of of 12 princes, exactly as God has promised. But otherwise, their role in God's story fades from view. No longer a part of the, the history. But that doesn't mean they're unworthy of God's faithfulness. God fulfills all His promises, large or small. God is faithful to cosmic Redemptive promises that will come through Abraham and his son Isaac and to the forgotten families of the wilderness that fade from view of the world. There are no promises. There are no people that are too small for God's never-failing faithfulness. 
I think that's what this chapter is highlighting for us. God's faithfulness, even to the the small, to the forgotten. Even to the nations through Abraham. Verses 22 through 34, the the rest of our chapter, tell the story of Abraham's treaty with, with the nations, with Abimelech. And why is it that Moses is recording this story for Israel and for us today? Well, first, I think it's what we recognize in verse 22. The words of Abimelech, God is with you in all that you do. We have the the recognition from a pagan king here who it is behind Abraham's blessing. It seems that the, the prophet's prayer from last week had some effect on Abimelech, king of Gerar. Abraham knows that God's blessing is what has brought him this prosperity. It's because God is with him, because God is faithful to him. And Abimelech recognizes this. And so he wants to make peace with Abraham. He recognizes that that he and his people need to be on Abraham's side, not against him. So then when conflict arises in verse 25, like over a disputed well, well, the point here is that, that peace prevails. Abimelech has made peace with Abraham, and Abraham lives in peace many days in the nation of the Philistines. You know, later in history, the Philistines will be among Israel's greatest enemies, especially to King David. But here, through Abraham, many years of peace, it says in verse 34. Again, this is God's faithfulness to his promise. To bless those who bless Abraham. The promise all the way back in Genesis 12, 3. So Abimelech's kindness to Abraham means God's kindness to Abimelech. Our passage here ends with Abraham giving worship to God. Worship, he says, to the everlasting God. The God whose promises and faithfulness endure as long as the God who gives them. The tree he plants there, I think, is a a memorial expressing that his fruitfulness, his prosperity is, is from God. So it is that God fulfills all his promises, large or small, both to the protagonist, working out his, his plan for cosmic redemption through Abraham and, and Isaac, and to every character of the supporting caste. The everlasting God is always faithful. This is who he has been. This is who he will be. His faithfulness is everlasting. I think these, these vignettes here, these, these short stories, show that because God fulfills all his promises, both large and small, this is also true for, for you and for me. That's our second point this morning of application. God will fulfill all he has promised to you. God will fulfill all he has promised to you. You know, as we read this story, you might not feel like God's faithfulness to, to Hagar or, or Ishmael, to Abimelech. It's, it's not particularly relevant to you, except maybe that it demonstrates that God is, is faithful. But certainly we could see the, the relevance of God's faithfulness to, to Abraham and to, to Isaac. It has a far-reaching effect, right? Isaac 
is the son through whom God's chosen line continues. Right? The line of Seth, not Cain, of Noah, of Abraham, now through Isaac and his descendants. Right? As we think about it, the the promise of a son for Abraham took up ten chapters of the book of Genesis, nearly a fifth of the whole book. It spans 25 years. But you'll recall, there's an even bigger promise in the book of Genesis. One that will eventually span hundreds of chapters and thousands of years. Do you remember when we studied Genesis chapter 3 verse 15? What we called the Proto-Evangelion, the, the first gospel. Genesis 3.15, speaking to the snake, Satan says this. God says, I will put enmity between you and the offspring, the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In the midst of God's curses of, of Adam and Eve, of, of Satan here, God promises a deliverer. A snake-crushing male descendant of Eve to bring deliverance. Genesis 3.15 is a, a far greater promise than even the birth of Isaac, of what we read here in Genesis 21. Well, the promise stretches all the way back to the beginning. It's carried all the way forward by God's faithfulness until that son comes. But it is not the son of Genesis 21. Though Isaac is in the line of Eve... He is not the snake crusher. God's people will have to wait another 2,000 years for this son of Adam, son of Abraham, to be born. We read of that birth this morning in our scripture reading from Matthew 1. Of what Isaiah prophesied. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. No, it's not Christmas yet, saints. But the promised Son does come. By an even greater miracle, Jesus is born by a virgin, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, both God and man. He brings joy, not just to father and mother, but to many. Great joy that will be for all people. The angels announce. And Jesus isn't just the heir of covenant promises of his Father. No, he is the mediator of a new and final covenant in his blood. And he wasn't born just to bring the promise forward. No, he was born to die. Born to die as our substitute for our sins. To destroy the work of the devil. Finally, the one has come. The promised male descendant of Eid to crush the snake's head. On the cross, he suffered the punishment that that our sins deserve. So that by faith in him and repentance from our sins, we can have the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. You know, I, I have to imagine when on that Emmaus road, Jesus spoke to his disciples, teaching them all that Moses wrote concerning of him. I think he must have talked of Genesis 21. The long-awaited promised son born by a miracle has come. He was pointing to me. I am that one to come. 
God is faithful to His cosmic, redemptive promises. We are are privileged to stand on this side of Jesus' birth and His death and resurrection. The greatest proof of God's faithfulness, even more than the birth of Isaac. And this is exactly where God's faithfulness to Hagar, to Ishmael, to Abimelech becomes deeply relevant to you and to me. As God is faithful to the protagonist, working out His plan for cosmic redemption, so He is faithful to the supporting cast, to you and to me, to the forgotten families wandering in the wilderness. You see, it's an argument from greater to lesser. If God has been faithful in the gift of the promised Son, how much more in every lesser promise? I think that's why Moses includes the stories of of Hagar and Ishmael, the Abimelech. Not just to tie up some narrative loose ends before he moves on, but to show that God's faithfulness is complete. God was faithful to give Isaac. And he was also faithful to Hagar, to Ishmael and Abimelech. So God gave Jesus. And he will fulfill every lesser promise to you, Saint. What assurance, what promise do you need from God's word today? Well, there is a promise for every predicament. And what we see in Genesis 21 is God is faithful to every word of his promise. For example, one of the most beloved is in John 6 verse 37. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this promise can be for you. Maybe you're thinking, God hasn't chosen me. Therefore, Jesus will reject me if you come to him. But John 6.37 says, no. Jesus promises to receive all who come to him for salvation. He will not turn you away. Come to him. Believe in Jesus and He will never cast you out. More than that, all of us who are Christian, who have come to Him, He will never cast out. Saints, have you ever wondered if you will make it to the end? That maybe your sins will get the upper hand and drag you down like rocks in the pockets of the drowning man. John six thirty seven says that God's reputation as a faithful God, is at stake on you. If you have come to Jesus with a sincere faith, if you have been born again from above, then He will complete the work He began. He does not abandon His workmanship. I think this is especially a comfort to us when we know saints who have memory disorders in their latter years. Even if you can no longer remember the promise of John 6.37. Even if you can no longer recognize the faces of those that you love. Jesus will never cast you out. This is a promise, saints. God is faithful. His hold of us keeps us. Not our memory of Him. Enjoy present assurance of final salvation because God is faithful to His promise. Every word of it. 
Or maybe you, saint, are less worried about the future and more about today. Well, I'd encourage you to consider the promise of Matthew 6.33. Jesus tells his disciples not to be anxious, but rather seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a promise, saint. All these things will be added to you. He assures his saints in the words before that your Father knows that you need these things. God, our Heavenly Father, knows our needs and promises that all things will be added to us. What's the proof of this? Well, since God gave us his Son, we can be certain that he will also give us everything we need. So what are you worried about, brother, sister? A busy season? A test? Tight finances? Your health? Our God is faithful. He doesn't promise here that you'll get everything you could possibly want. He promises what you need. Seek His kingdom. The advance of His reign in in your life and the lives of those around you. Seek His righteousness to live, to reflect His character. And do not be anxious. He who promised is faithful. He will give you what you need to endure the busy season. To be obedient and joyful in the test. To provide you with daily bread. To one day know the end of pain forever in His presence. God is faithful. You know, by some counts, there are more than 7,000 promises in the Bible to Christians. We don't have time to go through all of them. We can only begin to think about how God will fulfill all that He has promised to you and to me. So saints, next time you read your Bible, ask this question as you go. What has God promised to me here? If you read in the Old Testament, consider how is this promise fulfilled in Christ, who is the yes and amen of all of God's promises? And what does that mean for me? Make it your aim every time you read from God's Word to come away with a promise, either a new one or one you know well, reminded of again. And then, Christian, trust that promise. Maybe memorize that promise. Use it to encourage others who need similar hope. Ask God in in prayer to fulfill that promise and depend on God as faithful. He will fulfill all that He has promised to you. God is absolutely faithful to His Word. If He has spoken it, He will do it. He will perform it. And God is individually faithful to you, Christian. Even if our lives leave no lasting global impact like Abraham and Isaac, there are no promises and no people too small for God's never-failing faithfulness. You know, Abraham has been an example for us in these nine sermons of what it means to live in the gap between promise and reality. He has waited 25 years for his promised son to come. But we still wait the fulfillment 
of the promises. We live in the gap between promise and reality. We may wait even more than 25 years for God's promises to us to become reality. Or, maybe He'll come today and we won't have to wait at all. But the purpose of Genesis 21 is to show us that God will fulfill all that He has promised. If not today, that day will come. The assurance is his, his past and proven faithfulness, not only to Abraham, but to the supporting cast as well. And we saints have even greater assurance. The fulfillment of the promise to send the Messiah as Savior for our sins. The gospel is not just good news for the forgiveness of your sins, it is. But it is also the assurance of daily trust in all that God has promised. If He has given Jesus, He will not also with Him spare any good thing to His people. God's faithfulness is proven in His Son. So trust Him for every other promise. God is faithful to fulfill all that He has promised and to protect His people. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we proclaim that You are faithful. Lord, it is our assurance of faith this morning that if You have spoken it, You will do it. Lord, not only do we see this in the promise of Isaac to Abraham, but more than that, of Jesus to Your people. That in the fullness of time after Your saints have been waiting thousands of years, Lord, what You promised, You fulfilled. Lord, we pray that that would be a blessing to our faith this morning. That we would trust you as the ever faithful, never failing God who can never lie. Lord, I pray that we would place all of our trust on you and all of your promises for us. And Lord, in light of that, that we would be an obedient, joyful people to the glory of Christ. We pray this. Amen. Saints, in a moment, we will have an opportunity to respond to God's word in song. But I would invite you to spend the next moment in silent reflection considering what you've heard this morning, especially of God's faithfulness to you to fulfill all that He has promised. Please take a moment of silence.